He's a very present help in time of trouble. Yes. Let's take our Bibles and open together this morning the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. You need to pray this morning. I was telling my wife uh, yesterday evening, I've not preached for two and a half weeks. You need to pray. All right? And so we could be here for all day, really. I mean, I don't know. But anyhow, let's take our Bibles this morning. We're in Isaiah chapter number 6. I thought that was funnier than you thought it was, obviously. But <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> well, a friend of mine, he preached for 24 hours, multiple times. And uh, he would, they would have a whole service uh, it would be an all-day thing. People could come. It would go. Uh, if you could, you could stay as long as you'd like. They would. He would preach a message. They would sing some songs. Uh, people could go. They'd have refreshments out in the fellowship space, and he would go and he would get his next sermon prepared. And he'd come back out. He'd preach for another hour, an hour on, twenty minutes off, an hour on, twenty minutes off. He did that multiple times back in I think about two thousand uh, two thousand eight. I think it was. Down in, DeBerry, uh, down in uh, Orange City, Florida. And uh, you know who it was? It's John Reynolds. And uh, he said, he told me I need to do that. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see. But we're in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when things go awry in your life? When, when things don't work out or don't seem to be as you plan for them to be? Has it ever happened to you where you look back over the, over the course of your life and, and things happen that you never planned for, uh, that you're in a place in your life where, uh, where you never thought you would be, the things that you had hoped for never maybe seemed to pan out or God had led you down a different path. Maybe there are circumstances or situations in your life where, uh, where there just seemed to be great instability. Uh, great, uh, maybe seasons of trouble and uh, just times of, of great frustration. What do you do? There's a temptation that we find that we're going to look at this morning, but there's also a solution. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read in this very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 8. The Bible says this, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, 
and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. Lord, we pray for your help today. Lord, you, in your word you promise that your word will not return void. Lord, this morning our hope is in you. We look to thee for help. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes that we may behold marvelous things from thy law. Lord, that you would challenge us today, that you'd correct some things in our lives and lead us on the path to victory. And so, Lord, we love you. We pray that, again, if there's anyone here this morning who knows not Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in the opening verse of chapter 6. Three words that might seem shocking to to note or to underline. But the Bible says in verse number 1 that King Uzziah died. I asked you moments ago, what do you do do, or how do you respond when, when things don't go your way? What do you do when King Uzziah dies? What do you do when everything around you, all sense of stability seems to go away? You see, Uzziah, he he was both a good king and he had his faults, no doubt about it. And we'll talk about a couple of those things here in just a moment. But Uzziah's death dealt a significant blow to the morale of Israel or of Judah. Uzziah was a good king until his pride got in the way. Uzziah was 16 years of age when he ascended to the throne. His father was Amaziah, who started out as a good king. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 25 and verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Amaziah, following God's instruction, strengthened himself and defeated the Edomites and and conquered uh, a great deal of, of territory. Tragically, however... Amaziah took to himself the gods of the Edomites. And of this, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 25 and verse 14, Now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir, or who is Edom, and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. Wherefore, verse 15 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto, the prophet, unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You know, he, he, made, a God, he made gods of, that could not deliver. But there is a God, and, and the God, the one true and living God, he had forsaken. And in his idolatry, he refused to hear God's instruction which brought about a devastating blow to Judah. Uh, They suffered great military defeat at the hands of Joash, the king of Israel. And may I tell you, they they never recovered from that under the reign of Amaziah. And upon Amaziah's death, his son Uzziah, uh, was brought to the throne, again, as a 16-year-old boy. Why don't you look with me, if you would, please, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 
Second Chronicles chapter 26, we're going to note uh, some of the things that, that God used Uzziah to, to bring to fruition. But Uzziah, in a sense, gave hope to a defeated people. Uh, Amaziah had, had brought them into defeat, but Amaziah, he brought them out of defeat. Uzziah's early reign was marked by God's blessing. In 2 Chronicles 26, verses 1-15, through 15, we find an inventory of, of, the, of the accomplishments of Uzziah. For instance, he restored Judah. In verse 2, the Bible says he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. The Bible says uh, he was 16 years old, was Uzziah, when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was uh, Jechaliah of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Look what the Bible says in verse 5, uh, or verse 4 says that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So he was a very prosperous man when he sought the Lord. And may I tell you, the same is true for you and me. If you want to prosper in your life, and I'm not talking about uh, having an extraordinary amount of money. I'm not talking about monetary wealth or worldly gain. But I'm, tr I'm talking about the true, genuine blessing of God on your life. If you want God to prosper your life, then you must seek after Him with all of your heart. You see, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. He warred against the Philistines and the Arabians. In verses 6 and 7, the Bible says he went forth and warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath and the wall of, uh, of Jabneh and, and the wall of Ashdod and built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in uh, Gerb uh, and Gerbeal and the Mahumans. And so God, God brought great victory the Bible goes on to say that he built towers in Jerusalem and in the desert, these fortifications, uh, these watchtowers to protect against the advancement of the adversaries and enemies into their, into their lands. In verse 10, the Bible says, also he built towers in the desert and digged many wells. He digged many wells. Not only did he provide uh, military aid or not only did he provide safety from the adversary, but think of the, the, the necessity of water. How many of you have ever been to the desert? You kind of need water, don't you? For a few years, my wife and I lived in the southwestern part of the United States, and it was hot out there. And there was one thing that was apparently obvious, the lack of water. And if you go to, to Las Vegas, or if you go to Boulder City, uh, you can see... The, the Hoover Dam. How many of you have ever visited the Hoover Dam? That is a remarkable piece of, of engineering, isn't it? They say that the concrete inside the Hoover Dam has not yet cured. It's remarkable. But if you go and, and you see the waters that are being held behind, you see the waters of Lake Mead, and you can see on the rocks where the drought is taking place, and where the water used to come up almost to the top of the dam, it's now 100 feet below the top of the dam. There's a remarkable drought. In 2015, I was able to travel to Israel. 
and uh, was able to go to the, to the pool of Siloam and the pool of Bethesda and, and see all of these great places, all these biblical uh, places where Jesus was and where he wrought miracles and taught much people. And, and it was encouraging, but you get outside the walls of Jerusalem and there's not a lot of water. And, and uh, the Israelites, they have engineered this piece of equipment where they're able to, to take the water that is in the, the Mediterranean Sea, and remove the salt so that they can use it. Otherwise, the water's of no use. We just spent a week at the ocean, and we're standing there, and I, I, several times I looked at my boys. We were out on a boat, and I said, hey, boys, there's water. You ever heard the, the, the old poem, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink? Right. We need water. They needed water for their herds for their sheep, for their cattle. They, they digged wells for... It was this great economic uh, boom that was taking place under the reign of Uzziah. There was great stability. But he, the Bible goes on to say that he had a well-armed army of 310,100 men of mighty men of valor. He invented weapons of war. However, we find that, tra that, that tragedy struck Uzziah's life in verse 16. The Bible says this, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. You know what we need? We, mean, we need more valiant men, don't we? They went in and they withstood the king. These, there's 81 of these men. They said, hold on, this is not your job. This, that duty belongs to us, the priests. But he would not hear. And God struck him with leprosy. And the Bible tells us that he lived the rest of his days in a several house. What's a several house? A place of, of quarantine. Leprosy was contagious. He was unclean. He was ostracized until the day he died. His son, Jotham, ruled in his stead. The Bible says this in chapter 27 of 2 Chronicles. In verse 2 it says, And he, speaking of, of Jotham, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. So what Uzziah did right, his son did right. But may I tell you what Uzziah did wrong, his son did wrong. The Bible says, How be it, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. And as a result, the Bible says, and the people did yet corruptly. In the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah died, everything that Isaiah, consider Isaiah, this, this man of God who, who was patriotic, who loved Judah, who loved Jerusalem, who loved the temple, who loved God, 
who had these, these visions of grandeur for the people as he would read the Word of God and study the Scripture, as he would preach it to the multitudes, he knew that God's Word brought about blessing to those who were obedient thereto. King Uzziah died. And you know what happens? When King Uzziah dies, there's a stark difference between what the world sees and what God's people should see. See, when King Uzziah died, they saw the the figurehead of their society removed. They saw uh, all this economic success all these social things that were beneficial, all of these, uh, all of this military power and conquest and the strength of uh, the strengthening of Judah, they saw all of that leave. You know what they saw? The world saw instability. The world saw trouble. The world saw the continuation of wickedness. But what did Isaiah see? Christians, trouble will come into your life. (laughs) It's just part of life. Man is but a few days and full of trouble. And all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Christian life, according... (laughs) Contrary to Joel Osteen, who's a heretic, is hard. That's why at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul had to say that he fought a good fight. It was a struggle. Talks about warring a good warfare. The Christian life's a battle. If it was easy, then we would not need the whole armor of God. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. The Lord tells us that we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And friends, we must be be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Jesus warns us of Satan and his work in John chapter 10, saying that the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. So when King Uzziah dies, when, when hardship comes, when difficulty arises in your life or in the world, what do you do? Let us not look at it from the world's vantage point. God has given us something far greater. May the Word of God be our vantage point. May we, may we try things according to the Word of God. See, the world saw King Uzziah died. But what did Isaiah say? He said, I saw also the Lord. Christians this morning, if we want victory in our Christian lives, because 
to be honest, the weight of the world, the weight of life's circumstances is arduous, isn't it? It's burdensome. It's hard. It's difficult. So hard at times, words can't even begin to describe it. But what is the solution? May, you, may I tell you that everything begins and ends with the Lord. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Therefore, like Isaiah, we must lift our eyes heavenward and see God for who He is. And the question I pose to you this morning is, will you, will you look to Jesus? To hold your place here and look with me if you would. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith, as many will say, where men and women of old lived by faith in God. They, they looked to Him, they, they believed in Him, they trusted in His promises. The Bible says through faith, verse 3, we understood, or we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. <laughs> that pretty well answers the Big Bang, right? God created it. It didn't just appear, it didn't just come from some primordial goo. God created it, all of it. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We see here that, that you and I are called to live our life by faith. Now, what is faith? The Bible says in verse number 6 of Hebrews 11, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So if I live my life without faith, I cannot please God. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Hebrews 11, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a great description of faith. But in chapter 12, just turn the page over, in verse number 2 we see here what Isaiah had to do. Isaiah was a man of great faith. He saw also the Lord. But in Hebrews chapter two, uh, 12 and verse 2, we find what I believe to be the, the best and most concise definition of faith. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus. Christian, when troubles come, both personal, corporate, uh, national, worldwide, what do you do? What, the only logical thing. Stop looking at the trouble and begin looking to the Lord. Look to Jesus. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's what the world saw. But Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord. Would you mark that statement in your Bible? Back in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, I saw also the Lord. 
Will you look to Christ? Will you stop looking around? The more we look around, the more we fear. The more we look around, the more we become frustrated. The more we look around, the more irritated we become. The more emotional we get. But may I tell you, the Lord settles it all. Look to the Lord this morning. I saw also the Lord. Will you see the Lord this morning in it all? As we look back in Isaiah chapter 6, I'd like to share with you three very simple things that we must note as we look to the Lord. If you'll write these down, notice the first is that God is still on His throne. When you look, when you see God, when you see the Lord, you see that He is still seated firmly upon His throne. The Bible says in verse number 1, He says, uh, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, uh, and His train filled the temple. He wasn't halfway on His throne and halfway off of His throne. He wasn't kind of, He wasn't like this on His throne. He wasn't out of balance. He was firmly settled on His throne. The Lord is sovereign. He has not abdicated His power. He has not left His position. He still rules and He still reigns supreme over all the universe. The Bible says this, that that God created the heaven and the earth in Genesis 1.1. And some hold the false deist view that that God created the world and then removed Himself uh, from, from having anything to do with it. How many of you understand deism? Uh, it's a false view. Right. It's wrong. Amen. The Bible says this in John 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the Creator of, of all these things, of all the universe, of the heaven, and the earth, without Him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, 16, and 17, the Bible says this, speaking of Christ the Creator, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created uh, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. The world is not unraveling. It's being firmly held together by the word of His power. The Bible tells us so in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that Christ upholds all things by the word of His power. He's in control. That's why you and I can get out of bed in the morning. If He wasn't in control, I'd still be sleeping right now. Actually, I'd probably be curled up in the fetal position in my closet with a flashlight, a baseball bat, and a 9mm waiting for somebody to walk in the door, right? I'm not sure. But it's crazy, isn't it? The world, 
The world seems to be nuts. Have you ever seen things like this? The world is corrupt. People are vile, wicked, wretched, sinful, violent, immoral. They're after your children. Can you imagine? May I tell you? How do I best frame this so we don't get censored on the internet? I don't know. They'll censor us, whatever. School-age children should learn about certain things from their parents. Not from a pervert in the kindergarten classroom. It's wicked, isn't it? The world seems to be out of control. People are flying rainbow flags this month. Using a symbol of God's promise to never destroy the world again with a flood. They're using that as a symbol of their sin. Wow. How do we get here? I believe we've gotten here because, and I'm painting with a broad stroke, because we have taken our eyes off the Lord. When we remove God from the very foundations of society, what can we expect? When we teach our children that they're animals, and they behave like animals. What do we expect? But then, here, here's the funny part. We teach them they're animals, but then we're telling them to do things contrary to uh, what creation does. We have, a, we have a dog. Her name is Mayberry. She's not a male dog. She understands that. It's silly, isn't it? But the world seems to be out of control. And while evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, note this, that God is still on the throne. And that nothing has taken Him by surprise. And all power is of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. God is sovereign, meaning He is superior to all others and possesses supreme rule and dominion over all of His creation. Therefore, our hearts need not faint when troubles and trials and tribulations can pass our lives. We just need to take a fresh look to heaven and see the Lord seated firmly upon His throne. What's the second truth we find when we see God? We see that He is the standard, that God is the standard. The Bible says this back in Isaiah chapter 6. 
In verse number 2 it says, Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. It says, And one cried unto another and said, Mark the statement here in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the King, the Lord of hosts. And he saw him for who he truly is, He saw him as the one true and living God. But not just that he was true and living, but that he is holy. Separate from sin. The triune God, God the Father. The whole earth is full of His glory. Friends, God is is holy. That is His most unique characteristic. His most defining attribute is, is His holiness. He's awesome. Yet Isaiah was given the matchless privilege of seeing God for who He truly is, high, holy, lifted up. While our eyes have never seen the awesome holiness of God, we are told that the whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. Yesterday we were out knocking doors in a neighborhood off of Diley Road, and not long after we began, we walked up this driveway, and there was a lady sitting on her on her front steps, and and uh, she she. I, I, I greeted her. I said, hey, good morning. How are you? She said, you, you selling candy? <laughs> Maybe. What you want? I told her, no, we're not selling candy. And I introduced myself, my family, and I told her why we were there. I said, we're here just, we're out in our neighborhood this morning. These are my exact words. We're out here telling people about the Lord. And she said, well, I don't believe in that. And she quickly tried to end the conversation and and I was, I, was, I was polite, respectful. I didn't, I didn't press it with her. And she, she tried to return the gospel track that, she had already, that I had already given her. And, I, and I, I urged her to keep it, and she did. And I told her to read it. Lord willing, she will. But may I tell you, friends, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yeah, Do you want proof of God? Look around. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible tells us in in Psalm 19 and verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. I remember driving out west years and years ago. My wife and I, we had just gotten married and we we were somewhere out in the middle of Utah and there was no ambient light from any city. And it was the darkest place I think I'd ever been in my life. 
It was like you were driving through a tunnel with your headlights. All you could see was in the headlights. And I was probably stupid and driving faster than I should have been. But anyhow, but I remember we, we would, we'd stop, we'd look out and you could see stars that you had never seen before. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Look to heaven. Look to the sky and see the mighty work of God. None of this is here by chance. Nothing, nothing is here by accident or coincidence. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You look around and you see evidence. You see the reality, the truth of Almighty God. Nevertheless, we return back to Isaiah chapter 6 where we find the prophet's response to this holy God. In verse 5, the Bible says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah immediately realized that God is the standard. By standard, I mean he's the, he's the mark. He's the one that, we're, that we should strive to be like. He's the one for whom we should strive to live and to emulate. The world does not need more woke leaders. The world does not need more people talking about pride in their sin. The world does not need more immorality, does not need more drunkenness. The world does not need more senseless violence and murder because that's the standard of the world. That's not the standard we need. We need the Lord. What the world needs is for God's people to realize that he is the standard and that we are to strive to be like him. He says, woe is me for I am undone. He couldn't stand it. He recognized his inability. He saw his failure. He saw his lack. He realized his need. His need for God. Because, friends, understand this. You and I, we can't do it on our own. You can try to live godly on your own, but it's a waste of time. It's futile. It's frustrating. It's only through Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So I were to walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. It, Understand, it's, it's the work of God in one's life that helps us live godly. But in 1 Peter, I want you to look there with me if you would, please. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober in hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you by, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1.14, the Bible says, As obedient children, as obedient children, 
You and I are his children, for as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Paul tells us, I believe it's in Ephesians 5 and verse 1, that we are to be followers of God as dear children. But we are to be obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. Not, in other words, not living according to the world's standard. But as he which hath called you is, what? Holy. Let's read that again. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Christians, God is the standard. When, we, when, we, when trouble comes in our lives, we look to God, we see that he's in control, but we must also remember that he is the standard. Sometimes when troubles come, you know what we do? We abandon our principles. When troubles come, we abandon our convictions. God says, hold those strong. Don't compromise. Live right. Live godly. Because he's the standard. Notice the final truth that we see back in Isaiah chapter number 6. We see that God alone is worthy of our life's service. God alone is worthy of our life's service. This holy God has forgiven our sin and saved us by His grace. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him, speaking of Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ died for our sin, was buried, and rose again from the grave. He offers salvation to all who will come to him by faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not the, the end. It's the beginning. My beginning... January 7th, 1989. Accepted Christ as my Savior. Haven't been perfect. Not as though I've already attained, neither was I already perfect, but I follow after. That I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Pressing toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was, what was Isaiah's response to this God who was sovereign, firmly seated upon his throne? What was Isaiah's response to this almighty God who, who is resplendent in glory, who is thrice holy, and is the standard for which we are to live? What was his response? His, his response is found in verse number 8. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You know, the world's in trouble. There's no doubt about it. Our nation is, is under assault. 
under siege. There are, there are people we know and love that, that are held captive in, by sin's sway. And what is needed now more than ever for God's people, those who have, have had their sins forgiven, their sin purged, like Isaiah. Look what the Bible says. It says in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin has been purged. He's saved you by His grace. And what has He done? He's now called you. He's called you to live for Him. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Because Christians, your life has problems. And you and I are blessed to navigate these problems with the Lord. The world doesn't have that pleasure. That's why there are more people taking their lives via suicide today more than ever before. It's at a record rate amongst 18 to 25-year-olds. Young people like these guys who just graduated from high school. And the prime of their lives are taking their lives because there's hopelessness. Why? Because they're living apart from the Lord. Troubles come, but they don't have the rock upon whom they can trust. They don't have that anchor for their soul, sure and steadfast. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. Send me. Parents, can I be honest with you this morning? We need to encourage our children to live their lives for God. We need to encourage our children to pursue a life serving the Lord. Do not... discourage them from wanting to be in ministry serving God encourage it well they're never going to have enough money either do you how many of us here today actually say we have enough right you're never going to have enough unless you have the Lord unless you're living for God if you live for God you'll always have enough you may never have what you want or what you think you need, but you'll always have what you need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. For too long, we've said, you know what, we need to pursue this, that, and the other thing. But no, we just need to serve the Lord. Whether that's in Christian ministry, or whether that's being a faithful, uh, faithful Christian on the job in, 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 a, in a secular place of employment, we need, we need voices. We need people who will, who will lift, lift the gospel high. Because what's the, what's the solution? It's not more taxes. 
It's not less taxes. It's not a new social program or the repeal of social programs. It's not a new or new and improved economic strategy. It's not fossil fuel. It's not solar or wind energy. What's the solution? It's God. Amen. The Lord is the solution. And you and I have the answer. And what we need to understand is that instead of living for ourselves, we need to live for God. Here am I. Send me. I'll go. I'll serve. I'll speak. I'll sacrifice. I'll give. I'll pray. Because there's trouble. But there is a God in heaven who's firmly seated upon his throne. Who is, the, who is the true standard of all things. And the only one that is worthy of our life service. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Friends, stop looking around at the trouble. And turn, lift your eyes toward Calvary. Look to Jesus. Serve him with your life. Trust him. Come what may. Strive to be like him. Hold his banner high. Allow God to use you for his glory. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.